The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Kind of shows you how many uh, youngins we have in here. When after we greet, there's gaps, which I love having the kids in worship with us. And uh, I, I love having the kids throughout the service with, with us as well. But uh, it's just, it's awesome when you can worship together, pray together, read scripture together. Like, there's just something about that dynamic that is just so great and so powerful. We're in Galatians chapter 6 today, and we're going to be looking at restoration that models Christ to each other and into the world around us. Restoration of our relationships. We're going to be talking about bearing one another's burdens. And Paul talking to the church, like, what, what should our relationships look like? That's that's where we are today, and um, you, you will no doubt be blessed by some of the CCEF conference that is wrapping up this morning because uh, myself with a handful of others uh, have been looking at uh, helping those who go through severe trauma and how to counsel and how to come alongside those and it talks a lot about suffering, and it talks a lot about this topic, bearing one another's burdens. And so if you hear something really cool and profound, like that's sharp today, I probably stole that over the weekend. I was like writing it down myself. Um, But Paul is going to be teaching us this morning about how we are to continue Walking in the gospel and the freedom of the gospel and not under the burden of the law and what that looks like as we minister to each other. So let me pray, and then we are just going to look at the first five verses of chapter six, and we'll, we'll get into it. So Father, I thank you for this morning, this time together. We just exalt the name of Jesus, Father our Savior, our Rescuer, the lover of our soul, the one who is closer than a brother. Just so thankful. We're thankful for the new life that he has given to us by the giving of himself. Father, as we come to the word and as we hear from you through this revelation given by the Spirit and written down by Paul. And as we meditate on it, as we consider it, may it seep into our lives. May it transform us in some meaningful ways, even today, that we would start to apply it, that we would understand it, that we would long to live out these good things, knowing that it brings abundant life and joy, and it points to the final restoration that comes when Christ returns. So we just want to be still as the Holy Spirit teaches us this morning uh, through this passage. It's in Jesus' name we ask this, amen. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1 through 5. This is what Paul writes. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So as we, just reading that, it seems contradictory, and I'm going to explain it all, because he's like, bear one another's burdens, bear your own load. <laughs> 
So we will get there and we'll figure out exactly what Paul's saying. But I want to start here in verse one. And he says, brothers, just brothers, we're a family, brothers, sisters, like we are together. We are one. We are in Christ. He, he doesn't just say, hey, you guys there at the churches in Galatia. He's, he calls them brothers. That's significant. Christ died to redeem us, and he calls us sons and daughters because we have been brought near, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have unity in Christ. He's been talking this entire letter to the church how the gospel brings people together and how the burden of the law was putting a yoke and putting people in slavery and was actually tearing people apart, and he gets to this part of, the, of his letter, and he's going to talk about how we live life together. And he says, brothers, it's important that we see each other as brothers and sisters. That we recognize that Christ who died for me is Christ who died for you. The blood that washes me is the blood that washes you. The Christ who loves me is the Christ who loves you. Like we need to see each other with those eyes. And too often we see each other, I think, with earthly eyes. It's just kind of the default. We're still in the flesh. We're still, you know, struggling. And at times we don't want to look at each other as brothers and sisters because we get ignored. Ignored. We do get ignored, but we get annoyed is the word I was going to use. We get annoyed with each other at times. We get frustrated with each other. We, we get aggravated by each other. And, and you come into the fellowship, and you're like, oh, we'll just take the long way to the coffee today because I see that that guy's over there. You know, like, and then as you walk by, you do the... <laughs> don't want to talk to you. He said, no, like, brothers, we're in Christ together, and we have to see each other that way. We're not enemies. We are not to show partiality by making arbitrary distinctions. That happened in Galatia. Uh, Peter comes down, he makes a distinction. He's hanging out with the Gentiles, and then when the Judaizers came, and when those from, uh, from Jerusalem came, he, he withdrew, and Paul had to say, hey, you're acting one way around this group of people, but when these guys showed up, you, you separated, and you started only hanging out with the Jews, and in fact, your separation and your partiality and the way you were treating people even carried Barnabas away. The son of encouragement stopped encouraging half of the fellowship because of how you were behaving towards them. Like, he says, we are to be together. We're brothers. It even happens in, in uh, the synagogue. Uh, James writes about it. He says the Jews are gathering for their worship and they start having partiality one to another. What are they doing? They're preferring those who are wealthy or have status over those who are poor and have no status. And they're saying to the wealthy guy, come up here, sit here, have the good seat. And James says, no, you shouldn't do that. We're all in Christ. In fact, you should treat each other as better than yourselves. You should exalt one another and not yourself, and, and you should not have partiality. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he writes this. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's hard. Because who's number one? Well, me, right? I like to watch out for me. I, I look out for my good. And Paul says, no. Jesus taught us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him, that we become less. And we look at others as more significant than ourselves. So we have to do a heart check all the time, don't we? Because we, we often will fall into that default of looking out for myself. John 13, 35, it says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do you show that? By not showing partiality, by considering each other before you consider yourself. 
by thinking of the fellowship and, and the needs of the fellowship and those who are in here and looking at each other as brothers and sisters and saying, they're in Christ as I am in Christ. And Jesus loves them so much that I better not make my Jesus angry by being against what he loves. Have you ever thought of it that way? Like when we have, you know, this rivalry between each other and we're causing partiality, we're against the one that Jesus loves. Because we all know he loves me, right? Like we, we think of it that way. Like I know Jesus loves me. Like he lo- I'm probably his favorite. But we have to see it the way Paul's talking. We are in Christ together. He loves each of us. He died for each of us. His blood, his blood was shed for each of us. Now, I'm talking, this is in the fellowship. This is those of faith, right? This is where Paul's talking. So if we determine to love one another, what happens? Well, we're more empathetic towards others' suffering. We see others. We start to recognize what's going on. We pay attention. How often have you been struggling with something and you thought you were covering it pretty good and then someone who's close to you, who's tuned into your life, can just tell you're a little off and they ask you. It means the world. You're like, man, I thought I was covering that up pretty good. Like They're like, what's going on with you today? Like You just see them off. You okay? They may not know what's going on, but you're just like, ooh, like you noticed. But how often do we come into the fellowship and nobody notices? It's because we're not paying attention. It's because we're not in that deep place of having relationship with one another that Paul's calling us into, that God is calling us into. We should see each other. We should see the needs around us. We should know when those close to us are a little bit off, that maybe something's going on. Maybe they seemed a little stressed. Maybe, who knows? He's just saying, love one another. Well, how do you do that? We, we pay attention. We notice when there's hurt. It's an important part of Acts 2.42. I, I mentioned that right as we started our fellowship time. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We do that really well in the church. We get in the word, verse by verse. We start getting into some of the Greek of it. We, you know, we go through and we, do, we devote ourselves to the teaching, not the decoration. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's my fault. I was making a mess up here earlier. Um, we devote ourselves to the teaching And then it says here, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We've grown a lot as a fellowship in prayer over the last couple years. And it's been a significant change in in this fellowship. It's really been dynamic. And we've devoted ourselves to the teaching and to growing in prayer. This year, starting now and moving into this year, we need to devote ourselves to some fellowship. And breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is that communion, being in Christ together, doing life together and celebrating the gospel well together. But here, the fellowship, they've devoted themselves to the fellowship. That means like, hey, we're having a get together. Everything in you is going to say, I don't want to go. I'm too busy, I'm too tired. That means I got to do this, I got to get this done. I got to, if I go, like, don't we go through that. Somebody's like, hey, let's come over and let's hang out and let's get some people together. Let's do, and part of you is just like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And then part of you is like, let me go through the list of why it's just too hard for me to get out to the car and drive over there. Devoting yourself to the fellowship is like when, when the people of God get together in this setting, I want to be there. I want to worship with you. I want to be with you. But it's more than that. It's when the people of God say, hey, let's have fellowship together. Let's get together. Let's spend time together. Last night, um, I was talking with Seth, and he said he just invited a whole bunch of guys over to his house for a bonfire. And then a bunch of them got together. That's devoting to the fellowship. That's like, hey, I'm going to burn stuff in my backyard. You want to come? <laughs> you know, most guys are like, yes, you know? You know, but we should want to be together. Devote ourselves to the fellowship, to, to 
being in each other's lives. Brothers and sisters, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This idea, if someone is caught or overtaken in any trespass, he says to to be caught is this idea of falling away from Christ. And it could be all kinds of different things that cause you to fall away from from walking with Jesus. It's, It's being stuck in a pattern. How many of us get stuck in patterns, right? We just have things and we just keep doing the same thing over and over. You're like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this? And we, we beat ourselves. I was like, I'm stuck in this pattern. We get caught. And maybe the pattern is intentional. Maybe we like our sin. Maybe we're caught in a pattern of, of doing something because we feel like, hey, this is giving me some kind of benefit in the moment and I like it or, or whatever and, and I'm doing it on purpose and I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm doing it anyway. Sometimes the pattern is intentional. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're, we get caught or overtaken. That's that second word. In some translations, it'll say if anyone is overtaken, This idea then means that sin has got a hold of you and it wasn't something you wanted, but you don't know how to escape. Have you ever been there? Like, I know Jesus saved me. I know he died for me. I know his blood cleanses me. I know I have the righteousness of Jesus, but man, I am stuck in this thing and I don't know how to get out. And I don't want to tell anybody about it. And I don't want to confess it because I don't want anybody to see that I'm stuck in this thing. Like I should have enough strength and Holy Spirit power to do this on my own. And I should be able to get out. No, he gave you the church. He gave you brothers and sisters. And when we are suffering, when we are struggling, when we have sin in our lives and we're stuck in patterns, part of the good gift is one another. Someone to come alongside. Someone to help to encourage, to lift up, to help you break those patterns, to help you see clearly why you're in that pattern and why you're doing what you're doing and and why you're not loving Jesus more than you're loving this thing, to help you see that. Sometimes we don't recognize that we love something more than we love Jesus. We have idols of the heart. So he says that Someone may get caught or overtaken. Again, could be intentional or unintentional. But he says, brothers and sisters, when we see this, when we're aware of it, you who are more spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I just love the way he's talking here. Be gentle with each other, be kind, have mercy. Have grace. He's not saying give a pass to it because he's saying restore them. He's saying, but do it in the spirit of Christ. Be gentle as you restore, as you speak truth, as you come alongside. But the question is, who's spiritual? Sometimes we see sin and what do we do? Not it. I'm not going to help that guy. Like, I'm, not quali- I'm not qualified. I think our church has a counseling ministry. They should go see them, right? Like, like we, we find ways to say, I, this isn't my job. Don't we? I, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I haven't studied the scripture enough. Ah, like, I just mess up that person's life more. Like, we, we listen to those kinds of lies because they're not of God. God says, you who are spiritual, come alongside and encourage and build one another up and and bear one another's burdens and love one another. And and he he gives us over 78 one another's in the scripture that we have to do with each other. Like, those are commandments. Like, this is how life is to be lived with one another and you're it. You're in the one another. But we we tend to want to shrink back and say, ah, I'm not spiritual. Like, I read this, it's like, Who's spiritual? Well, who is spiritual? What does that mean? Well, how can we know? Well, Paul just told us in Galatians chapter 5, when Pete was preaching last week, he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He was talking about 
exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Those who are spiritual are the ones who are putting off sin, putting off the flesh, going after Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is coming out of their life. They're being developed. Are they perfect? No, Paul's not saying you who are perfect. He's just saying you who are intentionally in this moment, walking after Jesus, giving yourself to him, walking as best you can, having the fruit come out of your life. As you see another struggling, come alongside them. You who are spiritual, you who are walking with the Lord right now, whose relationship is is doing well right now, come and help. To be spiritual is to be full of the Spirit and striving to follow Christ. See, it's not a statement of position. You know, we often think, well, who's spiritual? Well, that's got to be the pastor or the elders or the ministry leaders. Who's the spiritual? Oh, the, the Bible study teacher, like... No, it's not about position, it's about obedience. If you're walking with the Lord, he gives you opportunities to love those right in front of you. And not, to, not for you to like push that off, but for you to engage. For you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that life. For you to be the one who encourages, who comes alongside, who builds up, who helps them break off patterns you will be filled with joy as Christ uses a broken vessel to minister to another broken vessel. As he works through us, who's spiritual? Well, the one walking with Jesus and trying to walk in obedience as, as best they can. They're going after him and the fruit of the spirit is, is, is developing in their lives. They're on that path and they see one hurting. He says, you who are spiritual, restore that one in gentleness. So, any one of us today, when I say you who are spiritual and you're like, that's not me. Holy Spirit's like maybe brought some stuff to your mind like you need someone to come alongside you as he's talking. You know, maybe. Here's the, here's the encouraging thing. Any one of us today, we can set our face, we can incline our hearts towards Jesus and we can begin experiencing transformation in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives today. You can turn your face today. You can turn your heart towards him today. You don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to leave this place and keep striving and struggling in the same ways. Today, you can change and turn. You can grab somebody at the end at prayer and say, pray for me, help me here. I am done with this. I'm turning my face towards Jesus and help me. And that person who is there walking after Christ, who is spiritual in that moment, will be praying for you, will be encouraging you. Like the body needs one another. The encouragement is today, if we are the one caught, we can turn. The enemy would say, you're not worthy to turn. Christ says, I've done everything for you and given you all that you need, and I love you. Turn, come, be redeemed, be restored. So Paul is thinking that in the fellowship, anyone can and should care for the other person right there by them. And they should do so with a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is where we see Paul saying we become like Jesus. I mean, you have to look at the the heart attitude and the actions. He says, I want you to come alongside in a spirit of gentleness to help someone who's caught in a transgression, to, to bring them out. So he's saying you're gonna be like the Savior. Jesus is the one who restores us. He set us free with gentleness and he lavished us with grace and the love of God. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18 and 19 this, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, Jesus came so that we could have eternal life and then suffer until we go home. No, that's not what he said. 
Jesus came so that you can struggle through all of this and then maybe one day you'll get it right and, and he'll give you good blessings as you work it out. No, he said, I came to set you free from sin and death and also set you free from sin that so easily entangles you today. To set you free, meaning if anyone is captive or taken captive, Christ wants to bring them out to give them victory over that, to, to give them life and life abundant, to set them free so they don't have to live that way. He, he came to crush the work of the devil, to destroy it, and to bring liberty to humanity, salvation and freedom. That's what our Savior does. And so he sets captives free. Christ, full of the Spirit, goes to the cross, suffers to remove our suffering, thinks of setting men free, and thinks of the will of the Father, which is to send him to set men free over his own divine position. He leaves glory, takes on flesh, becomes like us, knows our suffering full well, goes to the cross and suffers on your behalf to remove your suffering, to remove your sin to help you. And then he says to you and I who are in Christ, I've filled you with my spirit. Minister to one another in gentleness as I have ministered to you for salvation. Paul says having compassion for one another and seeking to see each other set free from sin is just like Jesus. Christ set us free by humbling himself. So we too, in restoring one another, need to do so humbly. It's that spirit of gentleness, being humble. Not, I got this. You ever seen those guys? Something's going on and everybody's like, okay, who's gonna, you know, and it, you're trying to decide who's going to take care of the situation. There's usually one dude in it, he's like, I got this. You know, like, I know what to do. I'm in charge. I got it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. For the Christian, it's in humility we come forward. Not in this air of pride or braggadociousness or I have arrived. I know what you need. I, I had an older, or I still have an older brother. Made it sound like he's not with us anymore. I have an older brother. But when I was growing up, my older brother liked to tell me how life was to be lived. I don't know if you had one of those siblings, but every time something happened, he's like, Rob, here's what you do. Here's what you got to do, Rob. Rob, don't do that. This is what you need to do now. He even told me how to advance the, the ladder in the church. He's not a believer. And he's like, here's what you do. You get your first church. This is how you do it. And I was just like, you don't even know about this stuff. But he knew what to tell me what to do. We don't approach that way. Christ humbled himself to the cross. We approach in humility. I just, I just wanna love you, brother. I just wanna love you. I wanna help you. I'm just coming alongside. I'm gonna give you what I can, and if I can't give it, I'm gonna find someone else who can help you. Let's just do this together because Jesus wants you free. That's the conversation. That's the attitude. That's what he's saying. Do it gently. Restore one another gently. None who feel captured by sin want added guilt or shame heaped upon them by those who are supposed to be their brothers. The last thing any of us want, when we're caught in something, when we're struggling with something, the last thing you want is that extra helping of grandma guilt right on top, you know? Nobody wants that extra guilt and shame. We want to be free. And it hurts all the more when those who are supposed to love you are the ones who are heaping on guilt and shame. Or the ones who are supposed to love you are the ones that are causing you to suffer in the first place. He says here, he says, we are to do this in a spirit of gentleness we already feel the weight of our sin when we are in this situation, when we're caught. 
and somebody sees it and they recognize it and they're talking to us. Hey, let's talk about this thing in your life. That's not comfortable. That, that conversation right there is just not comfortable. I don't like it. I don't like having to have the conversation. I don't like someone having that conversation with me. I'm already feeling that weight and that burden. And then to be like, well, I don't know why you do that. I don't know why you just didn't do this. Why couldn't you just get free from that? I don't know why they act that way. Like adding guilt on top of it and adding shame on top of it, that does not set people free. That drives them away. It drives them from, from the Savior. Well, that's how Christians act. I don't want to be around Christians. No, we should love people well, speaking truth, but do it in kindness and gentleness. Jesus states the second greatest commandment in this way in Matthew chapter seven. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. See how he just did the second greatest commandment in the golden rule? If I'm caught in sin, I want someone to be gentle with me. I want them to come in humility. I want them to come and just say, Rob, brother, I want to help you. I, I see this. I, how, can I, how can I encourage you? How can we get you free from this? How can I pray for you? What's going on? What, what kind of circumstances are you in? What, what can I do to help you be free? I don't want someone to come with me, come to me with, all right, Rob, well, the word of God says, this is how you must live and beat me over the head with the word. I know the word. Many of you know the word really well too. The last thing you want is someone to come and beat you over the head with this. You want them to come and use this in a way that brings encouragement and hope. The word of God should re help restore us. So consider the care that Jesus brought first as we talk about restoration. Consider the care that Jesus had for the woman caught in adultery, John chapter eight. I'm gonna read this passage here. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without, any sin, without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, Go, and from now on, sin no more. Look at the great care he has in this moment. Someone is suffering. She's been caught in a sin. There should have been two people there, by the way, but they just dragged the woman out. There should have been a man there, too. But the Pharisees and scribes have this scheme that they're going to pull this woman out who's of ill repute. They bring her before everyone publicly. She's caught in sin. She's shamed already. And then they use her shame as a weapon. And they say, we know this woman is awful. We should kill her. That's what Moses said. What do you say, Jesus? And he points out that none of them are perfect. None of them are without sin. And they understand that when he says, let let the one that's here who's without sin, let him go ahead and cast that first stone because he's a righteous judge. He would be the only one here who can cast a stone because he has never messed up. The older people get it. The younger people, you know, they're a little bit more zealous. This takes a little bit of time, young people, not that you're hard-headed, but there's wisdom with age. 
They understand exactly what Jesus says. The old ones go away because they're like, I'm not perfect. I can't cast a, a judgment against this one. And I'm sure they thought, and if I was in that center right now with my sins laid bare, they'd probably want to throw a stone at me too. So they leave and the young ones leave and there's the woman standing with Jesus and he says, has anyone condemned you? She's like, no, they're all gone. He says, I'm not gonna heap more condemnation on you. I'm not gonna condemn you either. But he does say truth to her, go and sin no more. Don't live this lifestyle. This is not what God wants. This isn't where life and life abundance found in this. He says, go and sin no more. But he cares for her. He protects her in the midst of people using her suffering as a weapon against her and against him. He sees her. He sees this one who is broken and suffering and with gentleness in the midst of a crowd, with gentleness, he restores her to walk after God. To restore means to put right. It's, it's a resetting. It's like a resetting of a broken bone or, uh, or a, like a joint that's out of place. You know, as I was thinking of that definition, I thought of the movie uh, Mom's Night Out and uh, the guy, the dad in it, like he's, they're at the kid's play place and they're all, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese and he like throws his shoulder out. He calls his wife. He's like, hey, hon. And she's thinking that the kids are in danger. She's like, what's wrong? He's like, kids are fine. It's me. You know, like my shoulder's out of place. And then the next uh, scene, you know, he's at the hospital and he's, he's hurt and he can't move his arm that, but he's got to get to, you know, take care of the next thing that's happening. And he bangs his arm against the desk until it pops back in. And he's like, oh, it's good. All right, let's go. You know, like it's restored. That's what happens. Like we get caught in sin and we're all like, oh, I'm hurting. My life isn't right. Things just, I can't move the way I should in the spirit. And, and, and God, I know, has better for me. And then when we help reset it, when we put it back in place, or when we put the cast on and it heals, we're good. Life is restored. Like, joy comes back. We are able to, to live the way we're supposed to. So we, we do this restoration gently, and we bear one another's burdens. Verse two. That was verse one. All right. Verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. This idea of one sagging under a heavy load or a heavy workman's backpack. When we were uh, in Maryland, we, we used to do a kids camp every summer at the nearby um, um, Christian camp. There was a WMU, a Women's Missionary Union camp. And we would do a week there with, uh, with kids and stuff. And since I lived nearby one summer, I decided that I was going to get in shape. Uh, I just started taking martial arts with Kate. And I was like, you know what? Like, I got the t-shirt and I'm getting in shape and we're doing this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back and forth every day. It's about two miles. You know, you walk, it's about a mile. Walk back home is about a mile. So I was like, I got a two-mile walk every day, but I'm not just going to do a two-mile walk. I'm going to get this old backpack and I'm going to throw my weights in it that I had for lifting, right? And I zip that thing and cinch it down and off I go. Day two, I was like, I am not doing that again. <laughs> I wish I said I did it all week. No, no. One day there and back, and I was like, I'm done. This heavy workman's backpack. I had the joy of being able to set that down anytime. When one who's caught, when one who is ensnared, we can't set it down. There's times when we're just like, I can't get free of this backpack. And I have to carry it day after day after day. And I don't want anybody to know I'm carrying it. And eventually someone sees that I'm weighed down and they see the burden and they say, I want to help you. It, it's a better scene is from Les Mis, which is coming up that I heard about. When Jean Valjean comes across this man and this cart has collapsed and he's trapped under this cart and the people are gathered around and they're trying to pick the cart up and they can't move the cart. That's what this feels like. This is that burden. 
bear one another's burdens. There's this weight, it's this crushing and pressing down. And Jean Valjean comes over and he has the strength and he had been put in prison for a while. He, you guys know Les Mis, right? I am not giving anything away, right? Okay, <laughs> just checking. Someone's gonna come up later and be like, I've never seen that, Rob, and like now, no. I know, but I don't, anyway. He gets under the cart, he picks it up, and it, it shows that this man is somebody different. There's something about this guy. The, the officer sees that, and he's like, you're so strong, and at that age, and you remind me of somebody, and who is that? And, and he, Jean Valjean says, go ahead and say it. And he's like, no, forgive me, I don't know. But I, you know, he's thinking, in that moment, he comes, he sees the need of the other, and he does all that he can, and he puts his whole strength behind the cart and picks it up so the man is set free. That is what we're doing. We're coming alongside, and we're putting our weight under the weight of the other's burden, and we're saying, together, let's press, let's push up, let's get this off of you so that you can be set free and we can drop this thing and let it go. As counselors and friends, we do not use the law, which is the word of God. We don't use the law to impose more burdens. We shouldn't use this to make the weight heavier. Someone's already trapped, so we don't just say, yep, the Bible said that, told you. No, you should have listened to Proverbs. You should have listened to the Gospels here. You should have li-. We don't need to bring the word to to add more burden. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were coming in and they were heaping on the law and it was weighing people down and it was causing more burden. When we use the word, it should expose the wound and and the extent of the wound, but it must also then be applied as a balm that brings hope and healing. It's doing spiritual triage. You have to expose the, the, the wound and the depth of, of it so you can then get to the depth of the healing that's needed. And the word should be that balm and that hope and that healing. Jeremiah 8, 21, 22 says this. For the wound of the daughter of, of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? God is speaking and he says, they are hurting and I'm hurting. He, He sees us. He understands our suffering. He looks at it and says, I am hurting when you hurt. That's what Christ is saying. God identifies with our need and he knows what those who are caught feel. And God through Christ is the gentle physician we need. So verse three, he goes on to say, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So Paul warns against pride, and he does this twice. This is actually the second time, uh, where in verse one he says, keep watch on yourself, or you too may be tempted. So I don't think the danger typically is falling into the sin that someone else is in at that moment when you see it. I think the danger is falling into sinful attitudes thoughts of superiority or of disgust that someone is afflicted with whatever that may be. Gossip, harshness of words, condemning condemning the person, self-exaltation of how good I'm doing. Look at this person, I'm doing so much better. Indifference, just not even caring. Faithlessness, faithlessness that if I just bring Jesus near, he'll fix it. Do you believe that? 
Jesus dies for our sins and can give us eternal life. Do we believe that if we bring Jesus near others who are struggling with sin, that he can fix it? When we don't act in those ways, we're acting faithless, judging or separating. And here in verse three, he, he's, he says pride. This is a big one. Pride comes in. Don't boast in yourself. Don't think that you're something when you're nothing. Don't be deceived. Don't be puffed up. Come in gentleness. Don't let uh, yourself get carried away as you're trying to restore someone who's caught. Verse four, he says, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. So to keep from stumbling while helping others, we need to watch our own heart. Look at what we're doing, but more importantly, why we're doing it. Why are you helping? What is the goal? What is the reason? Why did you do that? One of the things I heard this weekend that was so good was asking good questions. And they said, you know, sometimes you say, what did you, how did you respond? And they said, well, I did this. Like I punched the wall or I got angry. I threw something or whatever. And then the next question is, and what did you hope would be the outcome of that action? What did you want in how you acted? Like, we have to ask that of ourselves. Like, I come alongside, I'm helping someone else, I'm bearing burdens with them, I'm keeping watch on my own heart. What is it that I want? It should be their freedom and their liberty in Christ, their growth. I should rejoice when they rejoice. It shouldn't be because I did this great thing and it made me look really good and be like, hey, I helped a guy. If I go around and I talk about how I helped somebody this week and what I did in helping them and how I looked, you know, I had the solution or whatever. If, if I keeps coming up, I probably was helping at some point for the right reason and then my heart deviated and I made it about me. I became the good counselor. I'm not the good counselor. Jesus is the good counselor. I'm not the good physician. Jesus is the good physician. I'm not the one who restored. Jesus restored. My story should be about Jesus and that person. We have to keep check of our hearts. To test our own work means to have joy before God because of how we're living before God and with God. So we rejoice because of the changes in our lives, not because we're doing better than those who are struggling around us. Verse five, it says this, for each will have to bear his own load. So this feels opposite of what he says at the very beginning where he says, bear one another's burdens, and at the end he says, but you have to bear your own load. This feels opposite of what was just said, but what Paul is doing is he's actually shifting his thought here. As, as we're walking through, he's saying, bear one another's burdens, keep watch of your own soul and how you're living in your own heart because we each will stand before the judgment seat of Christ for how we lived, for what we did. You will bear your own work. And so 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here Paul speaks of our final accountability. In verse two, our need to care for one another. In verse five, our accountability to the good shepherd. In the greater context, Paul says, walking in the spirit will transform our lives and we will be more like Christ especially in how we care for each other. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Will you stand and pray with me? Father, there's...
there's so much for us to glean out of this. And we want to love one another well. So Holy Spirit, show us where we have need of having people come alongside and minister to us. Give us courage and strength to to go to someone we trust and, and be able to confess our sins one to another so that we would be healed. And Father, we need to see one another as brothers and sisters and give us eyes to see each other as Christ sees us and help us to love one another well. Help us to do exactly what Paul talked about, bearing each other's burdens. Father, we thank you that the healing and the restoration and the freedom and the victory is all found in Christ. So we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we just minister to one another, as we just extend Christ to one another. May we devote ourselves to the fellowship. May we devote ourselves to each other in love. Join us together in unity. Encourage us and move powerfully through your people that we would be a holy people, set apart, blameless and pure, that we would walk in life and life abundant. And may we be a mighty lighthouse, not just a little light on a hill, but a mighty lighthouse in this dark place that people would see that Christ restores fully. So we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website.